Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning to those on the webcast. Special greetings to you. I know many people are all over the place dialing in. For those who aren't able to make it to the feast this year, we are thinking of you and are in our thoughts and prayers. So happy feast to you. Certainly appreciate the words of the children. I'm sure uh, God looks down, very pleased, wonderful musical offering. What a great example of childlike attitude on display for all of us, as Christ said. So appreciate that very much. My mom tells me this is my first feast site in 1966. This is not my first time here, but it's been a long time. So for all those who have been faithful many years, as was mentioned in the first message, we do appreciate that. All the old-timers that are here, thank you very much. Very good example. I wasn't going to mention this, but I think I will, because, you know, Mr. Mr. Turgeon has got such a great way of expressing himself with a little bit of humor. But I'll start off by saying, three weeks ago, we were both honored to attend a beautiful wedding, and we sat right next to each other. And we did not talk at all, I believe, about what we were going to speak on. I'll leave that with you. The crown that God will give each member of the body of Christ, who overcomes in this age, is the central theme of this message. Let's look at a portion of the message to the church at Philadelphia, which is the sixth church in Revelation chapter 3. Let's turn to the theme scripture for the day. And we'll start in Revelation 3.10. I'll get to Revelation 3.11, the theme of this message. Let's focus on the guidance that Christ gives to his church. Revelation 3.10 says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. We see this church on the scene at an hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole earth. Let's see what is said to the Philadelphia church, which is the focus scripture of the message. Verse 11, behold, I come quickly, hold fast, what you have that no one may take your crown. Notice what Christ tells this church that is on the time frame or in the time frame of his coming. And then at the end of this age, at the end of the age, hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. The encouraging news for each of us is there is a crown waiting. The very next words in verse 12 continues the thought by stating, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, holding fast to what you have and overcoming is connected to this crown. Let's look at the word overcome. 
The word overcome is a word that should be familiar to us. <laughs> That's in my notes. And I know it is today. It is a word, Nikau, or what we would recognize as a shoe brand we call Nike. One who conquers or prevails, or one who is victorious. Those called in this age have a crown stored up for those who are called, chosen, and are faithful in their race. The word for crown here is Stephanos, which is a wreath or garland that goes around the head. It is a crown of victory. It is a crown given to one that is victorious in an ancient athletic game or race. A Stephanos type of crown is a wreath given to one victorious and is a crown to be worn showing glory and honor. James, in James 1.12, uses the same word Stephanos in the verse. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown, the crown, the Stephanos crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is the crown that God has promised for those who are steadfast under trial, that persevere and have passed the test. They will receive the Stephanos crown of life. The good news, which we heard, the good news is all can be overcomers with the Stephanos crown of glory. Because as we heard, Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 33, be of good cheer, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we can be of good cheer. Yes, we can overcome as Jesus in the flesh has overcome the world and the ruler of this age. And as John tells us in 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he, and that's the important part, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We can have that confidence in Christ who lives in us through the Holy Spirit. And like Paul who said, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. The Stephanos crown represents those who have been victorious or Nikau is a very special crown and represents eternal life, glory, and inheritance. A crown given to overcomers in this age, part of the better resurrection, those who are the bride of Christ and the royal priesthood, and given to those called, chosen, and faithful in this age. In Revelation 311, the faithful church holds fast to what they have and overcome to finish the race and receive the crown of glory. The title of today's sermon, Hold Fast, Finish the Race, and Receive the Crown of Life. There are two main focus lessons for us today that I want to present Hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have. And secondly, we must finish the race. We must finish the race. 
The purpose of focusing on this two lessons is to add to our commitment and excitement to receive the crown of victory and the privilege of being on Christ restoration of all things team in the soon coming millennium. So let's talk about hold fast what you have. Hold fast what you have. Jesus counseled the church in Philadelphia to hold fast what you have. Let's focus on that term hold fast. The Bible uses the term hold fast in several places and it's a term that tells us what is important to being able to stand on the day of his coming. The word of the New Testament for hold on is the word, Greek word kratau, kratau, and it means to hold firmly, to keep secure, possess. The idea presented is to keep a firm grip on what you are, have and what you're holding on to because it is of the highest value. To hold fast to something can be the difference of life and death in some situations. Let me share an illustration from a real event of a family caught in a tornado in Alabama and the importance of what this term holding fast meant to staying alive. In April 2011, a line of deadly tornadoes ripped across the state of Alabama, leaving some 250 people dead in its wake. Near Wellington, Alabama, the Hardy family realized the storm was coming too late to find a permanent shelter. They considered trying to take shelter in a metal clubhouse, but it had already been turned on its side by the strong winds. So, in desperation, they took, uh, uh, they took shelter in a small stand of trees, they tied a rope around the children and huddled around them in the trees as the storm passed. A family member said that while they had been scratched by flying dirt and debris, none suffered a serious injury. We can all imagine how tightly, how tightly each of us would cling to trees and ropes in that situation. Without holding fast would mean being blown away by the winds and certain loss of life. Holding fast was critical. It was all important for the family to get through a challenging situation. That's the type of holding fast that's being conveyed by the Greek word kratal. The Greek word kratal is used in scripture to express what is vital to keep a grip on, a tight grip on. Let's look at what the Bible tells us to hold fast to. He does give us quite a few examples of what to hold fast to. Let me give you uh, four hold fast instructions and we'll focus on two. He says, the Bible says, hold fast to our confession. That's Hebrew 4.14. It says, hold fast to the head, Jesus Christ. And he also says that in Deuteronomy 13.4. Hold fast to God. And hold fast to the word of life and pattern of sound words and instruction. Each of these are important to understand, but today let's focus on hold fast to the word of life and patterns of sound word and instruction. Hold fast to the word of life, to the word of life. Let's turn to Philippians 2.14. We'll read two verses here, Philippians 
Paul writes, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I may not run in vain or labored in vain. Hold fast, kratal, is the word of, to the word of life. That is what Paul is instructing the congregation at Philippi. Have a secure grip, a secure hold, a stronghold on the word of life. Paul links this holding fast to the word of life, to his hope, to rejoice in the day of Christ with the members in the, that attend in Philippi. He wants to be there. Paul is telling them to keep a big bear hug hold around the word of life that is so important to being there together, together at Christ's return. Paul and the apostles knew that false teachers would introduce false teaching and the church needed to hold fast to the word of life, not fall for deception. Let's see Paul foretelling or telling Timothy of imposters to come and to continue in scriptures uh, and the things which he had learned and been assured of by Paul. 2 Timothy 3, 13, 2 Timothy 3, 13. Paul writes to Timothy, says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The scriptures, the holy scriptures, is able to make you wise for salvation. The word of life, the scriptures, the teachings found in scripture, reading, studying, and listening, and meditating to the word of God is how we hold fast that no one takes your crown through imposters and false teaching. We train, this is very important, we train our ears to the truth of God's word like a student who studies music. My son plays violin, he's got a violin teacher. I've gone to his practices and he's sitting there playing a beautiful piece. It sounds beautiful to me. And I'm sitting there, wow, what a beautiful piece. And all of a sudden his teacher will say, stop. And she'll say, what just happened? He goes, well, I played a C sharp, not a C flat. Because he knew, and so does she. But it sounded good to me. It sounded good to me. But it was just wrong, one wrong note. One wrong note. The ears had to be trained. And knowing what note was right is important in music. The same is true with God's word. We must know it. We have to kratal the words of life. 
I encourage us, don't take anything for granted. Don't be confident that we all have read it all, that we know it, review it, go over it. Be like the Bereans, study it. When Satan attacks the teachings, it usually begins with one wrong note. That does not sound so bad. If not corrected, there can be an entire song of wrong notes. They sound pretty good, actually, to the ears. If we're not diligent in studying the right notes, the right notes to know, to hear. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13 says, let me read this to you, 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, healthy words. That's what that word means, sound, healthy words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, that good, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. We have a pattern of sound words given to us. Hold fast, kratau, the sound words that have been committed to us through sound teaching. Keep God's word close to you. Kratau to the words of life. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Paul writes, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news, which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you first off all that which I also received. The Apostle Paul is saying, I preached the word as taught to him by Jesus Christ. Hold fast to that word. Then he said it again to the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. He writes, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions or instructions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. The Apostle Paul had visited Thessalonica and started the church there, as you can read in Acts 17. He was reminded them to hold fast to what he taught them. He was a chosen vessel of God an apostle, and his instruction held weight. Hold on to my instruction is what Paul is telling them. Let's hold on to the word and instruction. Let's kratal this very important direction by Paul. Hold on. At this time, in the Church of God, we have maybe more than any other time in the Church of God been given more to hold on to, possibly more than any other time in church history. 
let's consider why this is a fairly safe statement to make. The early New Testament church were taught by the apostles, uh, taught by the apostles who were taught by Christ, who really just brought the word of God, the Father. So it's very important to understand the early New Testament church, who they were taught by, where they got the, 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 the apostles' doctrine, where it came from. So we can think of them as the beginning of the New Testament church. But if you think about it, the New Testament, um, so they actually had the apostles teaching them as they were taught by Christ, as he brought, it through the, brought the message from the Father. But the New Testament really didn't begin to be formed. I mean, we had Peter doing some of the things before he died, putting some things together maybe in the 50s, 60s, uh, 50s, 80s time period. And then we had John, who didn't really write his books until 90, 95, 100 AD. He didn't, and he didn't record, and he did Revelation, right? He was given the vision of Revelation by Christ, and he recorded that all in the 100 AD. And then it was eventually put together. Revelation was not known by much of the early New Testament church. And it appears that a fuller, I think you'd agree with me this, a fuller understanding of Revelation in the church of God occurred with this current period in the church history. And we see the connecting, like no other church probably ever saw, the connecting of God's fall holy days to the periods found in Revelation 20, the milestones mapping out God's plan as seen in Revelation 20. So what are the key teachings, instructions, and truth from God's word that the church of God is blessed to understand at this time that we should put firm grips on our fingers around to hold on to. Let me just give you a list of the things that we're so blessed to understand in the church of God at this time. The gospel, the true gospel, the kingdom of God. Who and what is God? What and why is man? The government of God, the spirit of man, the first fruits, and the purpose of the church. The truth of the Holy Spirit, the resurrections, the identity of Israel, God's plans through the holy days. There are two great understandings the church has that I'd like you to think about that are very few understand. God is a family. Very few people understand that. God is a family. And number two, the meaning of the last great day, the eighth day of the feast. Those two understandings are unique to the church of God. And knowing those things, holding on to those firmly is critical. Appreciate them, understand them. Don't ever let go of those, what we've been given. Hold fast to what we have. As Hebrews 2, 1 states, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. 
As we read in Revelation 3.11, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Brethren, our adversary can produce false ideas, erode faith, cast doubt. And Jesus said in Matthew 24.4, Take heed that no one deceive you. And present things in a way to deceive, even such a way that, if possible, even the elect would be deceived. Hold fast and cling to what is important. The word of life. As we hold fast to the word of life, we look at the second focus area of the message. Finishing the race. Finishing the race. We hold fast, but we have to finish the race. Overcoming to the end. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 9.24. 1 Corinthians 9.24. 1 Corinthians 9.24. Paul writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, self-control. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. The Amplified Bible says a crown that withers. But we for an imperishable crown. Amplified Bible says one that cannot wither. Therefore, Paul writes, I run thus. Not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, just kind of, you know, for no purpose. Many go to extreme training regiments with a goal of winning a gold medal. In the times of the Apostle Paul, the one winner of a race, of an athletic event, would receive a Stephanos crown, a Stephanos crown a wreath to represent being victorious. If athletes will go to great training and dedication in training with great discipline for something that's really momentary in time or short-lived, how much more should we run our race for the imperishable crown, eternal life, salvation, glory, the inheritance? This is the imperishable crown that represents the victory over death. Paul said, run with deliberation and not with uncertainty. Or as the Amplified Bible says, we don't run without a goal. The goal is given by Jesus. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We run with the goal in mind. We know the prize. We know our calling. We run, to run, we run to win the race. We run to finish the race. Paul talks about this goal. Let's turn to Philippians 3.11. Philippians 3.11. He writes, verse 11, Philippians 3. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of from the dead... Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that 
for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now there's really two forms looking back. One can look back and look at all the mistakes that we've made and become discouraged. The second looking back is maybe looking back and seeing what we've accomplished and thinking, I've done a lot. I can coast. We've made it. We cannot coast. In both situations, the message is to press forward toward the goal, the prize, the crown that represents God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Are we reaching to those things ahead, pressing forward? These are action words. We have to be spiritually moving forward. Keep looking to the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. As Paul said in Colossians 3, we seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We set our mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Because when Christ, who is our life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. We press forward. We keep on striving and moving forward spiritually. Humanly, humanly, this can seem impossible. And it is by ourselves. As quoted earlier, Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, and we know the race can be won, because Christ who lives in you is greater than he who is in the world. Christ is called the forerunner in Hebrews 6.19, and he has gone out in front to lead. He laid the way in following his example, and through full, full reliance on him living in us, we can always continue forward, not quitting, not stopping, but reaching forward to the things ahead. Jesus Christ has shown the way, and he's completed his race, has passed through the heavens, and is the author of our eternal salvation. Let us be diligent, as Christ, the author of our eternal salvation, Run with endurance to the finish. Let's see this in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily snares us. And let us run with endurance the race 
that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy, was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Endurance means not giving up during trials, pushing through the difficult times. Enduring and perseverance is a trait we learn. Our journey is not a sprint, but a marathon as we continue towards the finish line. The marathoner has to have endurance to keep going, even when all the muscles in his or her body are screaming to stop and take a break or just rest. If we endure patiently and continue to overcome, we will continue to move forward to the finish line. A very powerful lesson for us is one man's marathon race from 1968 Olympics. While competing in a marathon in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, John Stephen Akari cramped up due to the high altitude of the city. He had not trained at such an altitude back in his country. And at the 19 kilometer point during the 42 kilometer race, there was jockeying for position between some rummers and he was hit. He fell badly, wounding his knee and dislocating the joint, plus his shoulder hit hard against the pavement. He, however, continued running, finishing last among 57 competitors who completed their race. 75 had started, only 57 actually finished, and he was last. When there were only a few thousand people left in the stadium, and the sun had set, a television crew was sent out from the medal ceremony when word was received that there was one more runner about to finish. As he finally crossed the finish line, a cheer came from a small crowd. When interviewed later and asked, why did you continue running? Well, let me play the video so you can hear his amazing answer. A little over an hour after Mama Walde crosses the finish line, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania approaches the stadium, the last man to complete the journey. A voice calls from within to go on, and so he goes on.
Afterwards it was written, Today we have seen a young African runner who symbolizes the finest in the human spirit. A performance that gives true dignity to sport. A performance that lifts sport out of the category of grown men playing at games. A performance that gives meaning to the word courage. All honor to John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania. Perhaps the words of John Stephen Aquari epitomize all that is right in the human spirit. When asked why he did not quit, he said simply, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. I think that's a very meaningful comment. And when we apply this thought to what God and his son have done for us, it's very sobering. I think we can all make the connection. God did not send his son to earth to die for us just so we could start the race but for us to finish the race. The death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ was done not so we could just start the race, but to finish the race. Starting the race is important, but we have to finish. Philippians 1.6, let me read this to you, Philippians 1.6. Paul writes, but being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We start the race to finish the race. And God and our and Jesus Christ, who began their plan so long ago, will finish the good work, as it says in Hebrews 2, to bring many sons to glory. We put all effort and focus into finishing, and we rely on God's help and power to strengthen us. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called and chosen by God. We have the grace of a lifetime to complete in front of us the crown of life, glory, eternal life, victory and honor that God has prepared is at the finish line. Christ, our savior and captain of our faith has shown the way in the flesh and God has given us his spirit, the power in us that is greater than the power of this world to finish we have to hold fast to what we've been given, and we have to finish the race. When we finish the race, we'll not be just called, not, not be just called and chosen, but also faithful. Rising to meet the Lord of Lords that is coming. That's when hope begins to end and becomes reality. At the end of Apostles Paul's 
the Apostle Paul's life, when he knew he did not have long to live in this life, he writes to Timothy, Paul ran his race in times of tribulation, in needs, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in sleeplessness, and in hunger. He was faithful to the commission he was given by Jesus Christ. Paul writes in all confidence in 2 Timothy 4-7 about this race. He writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all, all who have loved his appearing. Let's finish the race, keep the faith, hold tight what we have been given as we keep our eyes on the crown of righteousness that Christ has laid up ready to place on your head as you look forward to the appearing of our Savior and King and ushering in God's government in the soon coming millennium.